Good morning, church. Good morning. Grateful to be with you this morning. Sitting up here. Um, and welcome to those of you that are uh, online with us as well. Uh, grateful to have this uh, space to be able to, to worship with you and reflect on the Lord's Word uh, together, even though we are physically apart. Um, church, let's pray. Father, as we, as, we, um, as we spend time in your word this morning, I pray that the work that you might do in each one of our hearts this morning is that we would we'd be able to stop, to make space, to invite you into this place where, where we say, Lord, would you, would you be the one to speak to us? might be the case that whatever the needs are that are present here in this room, whatever points of pain, whatever spaces of celebration, um, whatever longing that exists within this community, um, Lord, I pray that you might be, through the power of your spirit, be speaking to each one of us. Uh, Lord, we come gathering here together because we, we want to know you. We want to have lives that are surrendered to you. Uh, Lord, we want to be a people that, that are aware and understand and experience the nearness of your presence, that we might learn what it is to enjoy you, and that we also might learn what it is to have our lives oriented around you, that you might continue to return us back uh, to those blessings and that life that you had initially uh, called humanity to. May this be a space. And Lord, we say our, our flesh, this patch of earth, may this be the space where your kingdom reigns. May this be the space, Lord, where, where your glory is, is seen. Um, so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, uh, over the next three weeks, we are going to be ex um, exploring one sentence in uh, the book of Ephesians. Um, the, this one sentence will carry us into uh, Palm Sunday and then into Easter. Um, this one sentence is probably the longest sentence in, in the Bible. Um, it is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 uh, through 14. And in the original Greek, um, it is over 200 words long. Um, PJ, actually, can I get your help? Would you mind grabbing that end of the paper? Um, and let's just wrap this around the room, is what I'm thinking. I have no idea how long this is, um, but this is the sentence in Greek. You could take it to Elizabeth there, so and just wrap it around her, um, and then go back to the net and rips, make sure it kind of just makes its way all the way around the room. Um, there we go. And we could just keep on going. Uh, so you get an idea, those of you that are watching online, it makes its way probably halfway around the worship center here. Uh, this is one sentence uh, in, that Paul writes, and you'll see that this sentence gets across uh, the depth of, of his work. Uh, we, could, we could put it down and kind of just lay there for the rest of the, just kind of, yeah, sh string it over Jonathan's face. Um, but you get an idea of, of the length of this sentence. It's um, underneath, 
your seat backs, if you've got a seat back in front of you, you'll uh, see this, uh, a breakdown of this sentence. It's, this is written by Tim Mackey, his, his translation. If you guys know the Bible Project at all, it's his translation of uh, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. If there's not enough in your row, uh, Karen is walking around with, with a couple of more copies of uh, this sentence. Again, that's Tim Mackey's translation. We, over the next three weeks, are going to be studying from uh, the New International Version um, of this sentence. Cool. Let me, let me read it to you. This is, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of, his, of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ... When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. One sentence. One very long run-on sentence. Um, And if you can imagine looking at this in... Um, it's original language when there's no separation between, no commas, no punctuation. You just have this string of letters that you have to try to figure out what Paul is communicating. But if you go to the slide before this, so if you go back one slide, um, one of the things that we recognize about this, this sentence is that it has created tension within the body of Christ over the history of the church because Paul uses words in this sentence like chosen before the foundation of the world and predestined. And I don't know about you, but for me, coming across this sentence can create a bit of tension within my own heart of trying to figure out what does it mean that God chose What does it mean that he predestined? A lot of times people look at this and they call the doctrine of election. And what does that mean? Uh, And so then again, it it can stir within us this place of trying to figure out when we look at this, do we have to stop and come to some conclusion that God, like a team captain on a kickball field, is going around and saying, yes, you, no, you, yes, you, I want you on the team and I'm not picking you. And you look look over this passage and try to figure out, is that what Paul is communicating to us? We'll get into that in a little bit. But what, what I hope 
we, we find is that in this sentence, uh, there, is, there is beauty. It is an absolute masterpiece of a sentence that describes the depths of the work that God has done. It describes the depths of, of his blessings for us. And so, like you have um, now in, in your hand, for those of you that are online, it's linked on the front page of, um, of the website. Some of the things that I want you to notice and we'll be exploring over uh, the next three weeks are, are, are these things. Uh, I've tried to color code uh, them, but you'll see that there's three movements to this sentence, and it lines up with the very opening words of this sentence that this is all about the work of God. So it starts off, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. And then as you look through the movements, movement one is about the work of the Father. Movement two is about the, the work of, of the beloved, of the Son. And then you have the central movement that's happening here in this passage. And then movement three is about the work of the Holy Spirit. You'll see that this passage is bookended by praise. It starts off by saying, blessed be or praise be. And this, this sentence is all about just moving to praise for God. And you'll see at the end of each movement and at the end of the sentence, it ends with this phrase, to the praise of his glorious grace, for the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. And so the sentence is meant to, to evoke praise and song and celebration in the body of Christ. Uh, you'll see just this overloading of and this abundance of blessing, right? He, this God, blessed be this God who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Uh, he chose us. He predestined us. We're adopted. We have redemption. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have grace. He's made known to us the mystery of his will in the cosmos. He's chosen us. Uh, we're included in Christ. We're marked in him with the seal. We've been given the promised Holy Spirit. He's our inheritance. We have an inheritance. We have redemption. And you just see that the absurdity of the length of the sentence shows the sheer amount of blessing that God longs to pour out on his people. So let's start there with blessing. Blessed be God. Paul immediately gets our attention on God. Blessed be God, praise be to God. And you see here the triune God working together to bless humanity. Praise be to God, the Father of our, and our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love the way that, uh, I mean, you'll see in your translation, Tim Mackey writes it one way, Stephen Fowle, who's a theologian and uh, looked at this passage and, and recognized that this word spiritual, it's re referring to by the work of the Spirit. So this sentence that Paul starts off with is meant to get our eyes on God. May God be praised, because here he is at work. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working in dynamic and loving ways to shower blessing on us. 
And as Paul starts off with these words, praise be to God, what he's doing here is that he's even reminding us of Old Testament passages, particularly in the book of Psalms, with this Hebrew word, Baruch Adonai. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. What Paul is doing in this space is turning our attention to God and causing us to be in a space where we recognize, man, God is at work in our lives. Ben Witherington looked at this sentence and came and said this, this praise passage has as part of its rhetorical aim to get the audience caught up in love, wonder, and praise of what God has done for them. Do you see? Do you see the blessings of God? Do you see just the, the sheer amount of, of blessing he's pouring out and longs to pour out on humanity? God is showering us with blessing. And so when Paul starts off this sentence, it's, it's, it's so repetitive, and it's almost like so redundant. Blessed be God, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Paul is trying to get something across to us. God wants to bless. God wants to bless and the length of the sentence helps us to get across just how much God has blessed us. He's chosen us. He's predestined us. He's adopted us. He's lavished his grace on us. He made known to us his plan for the cosmos. He's filled us with the Holy Spirit. He's given us a new identity. And as we read the sentence, it's meant to cause the church to respond to the praise of his glorious grace. God is good. Do you see what he's longing to do and what he has done for us? I hope you see it. God is giving us everything our hearts need and long for. This is a God who longs to bless. And we are to stop and ponder, be immersed in all the ways he has blessed us. And that is to move us to praise. Praise God. Blessed be God. And speaking of praise, there is this dynamic understanding of the place, the setting that we are praising God. Paul writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, or in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And that sentence, as you read it, the heavenly realms, that can feel distant right? It could feel like, hey, praise God, he's given us all of these blessings, but they're in heaven, you have to wait. We'll flesh this out in more in week three, but I had to spend a couple minutes on it today. What, what Paul is getting across to us, he has this understanding of where we reside. And when we bless God where we're at when this is taking place. In Ephesians chapter 2, in the very next chapter, Paul writes that God has raised us up with him and he has seated us with him. This is a now kind of a word or now kind of a sentence that he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
And the understanding that Paul has is he's thinking about the book of Psalms. And when it would, the phrase that he's using here, you can read in Psalm 89, verse 5, the psalmist writes this, Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? And so when Paul uses this phrase that he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, what Paul has in mind is that we are the holy assembly. We are the holy assembly that are gathered around the presence of God right here, right now. It is this dynamic understanding of do you realize where God has positioned you? You are with him. You are present to him. You are that holy assembly that is gathered around him to the praise of his glorious grace. So all of this to capture, listen, God has, has blessed the church in incomprehensible ways. And it's meant to provoke us to praise. And so one of the simple practices that we're going to have over uh, the course of, of these three weeks is I'm not going to sing it right now because I want it to be delightful, um, but, but Pastor Brittany will be coming in um, at the close of the service, and, and one of the practices that we're going to do together as a community is just at the close of our times together is sing the doxology, a song that the church has sung for forever. Um, and it's just praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. What I hope that we, that continues to get formed within us as a community is that we would just learn what it is to worship God, to turn to him with gratitude and thanksgiving, to have these hearts that just long to extol his, his praises, to worship him, to be a worshiping people who recognize that this is a God that longs to shower blessing on us. But this is where things get sticky. Because the thing that Paul points to that we are to praise God for, and Stephen Fowle, theologian, said it this way, that the primary reason that God is blessed and believers are called to bless God is because God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless before God. The primary reason that we are to praise God, to bless him, to sing of his, of his wonder and his love is because he chose us. God chose us. Paul writes, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And we might look at these words and, have, and come to this conclusion that God chose us and predestined, or that God chose and predestined the individuals who would belong to him. And that may make us uncomfortable. 
we may look at this, and maybe for some in the room, it stirs up feelings of you not being the favorite sibling. Any middle child, children in this room? That's, that's me. Maybe for some in this room, it creates a doubt. It creates a wondering. It creates a confusion. Does, did God choose me? Am I a part of this predestined people? Uh, maybe for some in this room, it creates a little bit of tension about the character and nature of God. Uh, why would a loving God choose some individuals and not choose other individuals? And then there's some lengths that some people have gone to to think, well, then does, if he chose some people, doesn't that mean that he chose other people for the bad place? Right? And, and there has been. There has been so much tension. There's been so much challenge for the church as we've explored passages like this. And it's left the church wondering, like, what does it mean that God has elected? What does it mean that he's chosen? What does it mean that he's known before the foundation of the world? What does it mean that he's predestined or elected? And I don't want to use a really heady quote, a really dense quote, um, but then I want, to, I want to go from there as we explore this idea of elect, chosen, predestined. Um, ben Witherington said this. He says, the concept of election and destining here is corporate. If one is in Christ, one is elect and destined. Paul is not talking about the pretemporal electing or choosing of individual humans outside of Christ to be in Christ, but rather the election of Christ and what is destined to happen to those, whoever they may be, who are in Christ. <laughs> Again, we'll, break the, we'll, we'll make this much simpler. But the concept here is not radically different from the concept of the election of Israel. During the Old Testament era, if one was in Israel, one was part of God's chosen people. And if one had no such connection, one was not elect. Individual persons within Israel could opt out by means of apostasy, and others could be grafted in. See the story of Ruth, for example. These concepts of election were then applied to Christ, who as a divine person could incorporate into himself various others. Easy right? Got it. When Paul uses these words, chosen, predestined, foreknew, what he's doing is that he's reminding people of the way that God has been working throughout human history. That this is a God that longs to choose and to bless. This is a God that lo loves blessing humanity. 
And so when you see from the very first pages of Scripture, what you see is that all over all of creation, God chose. He picked. He's, here he is. He's like, I, I'm, I'm giving all that I am to Adam and to Eve. And as he chooses Adam and Eve, the, the concept is, is that Adam and Eve, as this chosen, loved, beloved people, would be this vehicle for blessing for the entire cosmos. That, that, that Adam and Eve would rule and they would reign with God, and the rest of creation would be blessed because God chose Adam and Eve. And, and, and what happens in the story is that this chosen people abdicate rulership with God. They, they renounce, then they, they reject that, that blessing that God has given to them. And, and the tragedy is, is they turn to a place of trying to grasp blessing under their own power. They try to live in a way that is apart from God. And it leads to all kinds of tragedy and hurt and pain. It leads to death. To, to a place of, of creation being divided and broken. And in that story, we understand that what, what the authors of Scripture are also doing or communicating to us how we live is that God longs to, to, to bless us, but the, the place that we constantly are living in is that we are, we are not so quick to trust that God has our best in mind. And we live from our own understanding. And we try to make our own names great under our own power. And we try to provide for ourselves, by ourselves. And so we, we reject a God who is constantly trying to say, I will be the one to make your name great. I will be the one to bless you. I will be the one to provide for you. And even though Adam and Eve, again, abdicate that responsibility, God does not relent in his desire to bless humanity. And so what does he do? He chooses a man named Abraham. And, and so over all of, all of humanity, he comes to one person, and he lets him know, I'm choosing you. But there's something unique about this choosing this, that God does, this electing that God does, is that when he comes to Abraham and he says, I'm choosing you, he comes and he says, listen, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great. Right? What God is doing in, in what he's telling Abraham is, is this, you don't have to strive to make your own name great. I'll do that. You don't have to constantly going and working in this world to care for yourself, thinking that it's all on your shoulders to make your name great, to find blessing, to obtain blessing, to make sure that your heart has all that it needs and longs for. You don't have to do that. I will do that for you. Right? That's what God's communicating here to Abraham. But then he's also saying, listen, and you shall be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who uh, you, and the ones, the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, do you catch that? In you, all families of the earth will be blessed. And so when God chooses Abraham, it isn't this, I want you, and you, not you, and I want you. And I love the way that Tim Mackey describes it. He says, listen, listen, biblical election is this. God chooses one out of the many so that through that one, he can restore his blessing back to the many. That's the concept of choosing, is that this God does not relent in his desire to bless humanity. And so what we see over the pages of Scripture, over the pages of the Hebrew Bible, is that you see that God says, okay, Abraham, I'm choosing you, and then of one of your sons, I'm choosing Isaac, and then of one of your sons, right, then I'm choosing Jacob, and that's Israel. And the reason that I'm choosing is not because there are these, like, really uh, unique and different and special people that show themselves that they're head and shoulders above everybody else. No, actually, there's nothing, like, unique or wonderful about them compared to everyone else. It's because I'm just choosing one person so that I might restore blessings back to all of humanity. But, but what you read through the pages of Scripture is that it's the same story as Adam and Eve, is that humanity is constantly renouncing, ruling and abdicating the, the position of ruling with God, of, of being united with Him. And it's the story of a people constantly trying to obtain blessing under their own power. But God doesn't relent, and he doesn't relent, and he doesn't relent. So then what you find is particularly in, in, in the books of what are called the prophets, in the writings of the prophets, is that there is this longing for a king and messiah. There is this longing for a chosen one through whom and in whom God will restore all of his blessings back to Israel and back to all of humanity. That's the story. So when Paul writes this sentence to us, what he's saying, listen, what he didn't say is this. He didn't say that God chose people to be in Christ. That would be this doctrine of, I'm going to choose you, you're in Christ. I'm going to choose you, you're in Christ. What Paul makes sure to write is he says, you're chosen in him. That, that's the unique difference. If you're in Christ, you're part of this chosen one. And so this, the understanding is where he chose us in him, in and through Jesus all blessing could be restored back to Israel and humanity. That's what Paul is writing here. So that all, all blessing could be restored back. 
And so the way that we would read this passage is this. The Son existed before the foundation of the world. Jesus existed before the foundation of the world. He, he, he was and he is, right, with God. So the Son existed before the foundation of the world, and the Father foreknew, predestined, chose that it would be in Jesus that all blessings would be restored back to Israel and back to humanity. Before the story began, the Father knew that it would be in the Son that he would restore us. And then that's, that's, that was his plan. He knew. He knew the work that he would do to bring us back to himself. And so the first movement of this, this long sentence is a cosmic event. It is an event that includes the entire universe. Like, it's that big where those who are in the Son are experiencing the Father restoring blessing back to humanity. You were chosen in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He knew before the foundation of the world that in him he would restore us back to himself. This is a God that does not relent in his desire to bless humanity. What he desired to give Adam and Eve, what he desired to give Abraham, what he desired to give Isaac, what he desired to give Jacob, he has given to us. The Son is the vehicle by which blessing can be given. And it gets better. Paul makes sure to write, listen, this is in accordance with his pleasure in, and will. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. What's Paul communicating here? Choosing us is something that God wanted to do. More than that, it was a point of pleasure for him. Listen, we did all of this work this morning, gone through those that really long sentences and uh, the really heady quotes to get this point across. We aren't trying to twist the arm of a curmudgeon in heaven to care about us. that this isn't a God who is distant from us or unaware of the challenges that humanity is walking through. This is a God that is better than you realize. This is a God that loves you to a degree that is incomprehensible. He desires to bless. This is a joy-filled 
God who does not relent in his desire to care for you. And he sees the history of humanity striving to care for themselves. He sees a humanity that's constantly working to obtain blessing. And what he's doing is he's constantly interrupting our, our own effort to care for ourselves, to say, listen, you don't have to do that. And so when Jesus arrives on the scene, what does he tell us? He says, listen, don't worry about tomorrow. Right? He has phrases like, look, would you, would you look at the fields? Would you look at the birds? If, if your Father in heaven dresses the fields with flowers, if he feeds the sparrows, like how much more is he going to care for you? Jesus shows up on the scene, and the understanding, the vantage point that he's working from is that his Father in heaven has an abundance of blessing and provision. What Jesus looks at, the way that he sees the world around us, is that it is a world teeming with the provision of God. And so that's why he lives so different. That's why he lives with this posture that is just so ready to be generous, that is so ready to be moved with compassion on behalf of others. He, he, what he demonstrates to us is that, listen, I know my father's heart. There's enough. I've referenced him before with Tim Mackey in, in one of his podcasts with, um, on the Bible Project. The way that they framed this idea of this God of abundance, he says it's like, it's imagine that he, there's this great party that everyone gets invited to, right? It's this party that humanity is attending, and, and there's, just, there's just a sheer amount of, of provision that's there. There's, there is enough food to go around, right? It is this lavish party that is being thrown by the master of the house. But the way that humanity has lived is we can't come into the room, we see this, this amount of, 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 of food and blessing and provision that's there, and what we end up doing is hoarding. And we go to the, 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 the buffet table and we fill our plates because we're nervous that there's not going to be enough. We're, we're nervous, that, and so we, we take this posture that's like, I've got I've to look out for myself. I've got to obtain for myself. I've got to fill my plate. And, and then as he continues to go on with this analogy, it's like the, the, the sun comes into the room, and it's just like, what are you doing hoarding all of this stuff? Do you not know that the master of the house wants to lavish us with blessing? And that's why when Jesus arrives on the scene, it's, this, just, this, it's just this assurance. If you know how to give good gifts, 
how much more does your Father in heaven want to give good gifts? God longs to care for you. He longs to bless you. God longs to restore blessing back to humanity. And in Jesus, for in Jesus, man, all of the blessings that he wanted to give to humanity, we have access to. And so our response, our response is to be lost in the wonder of who he is. Our response is to erupt in praise, to erupt in song, and erupt in celebration. And in that is this heart posture that is just filled with joy and assurance God's going to take care of me. All will be well. God sees me and he knows me. All that I need is in him. And we just can respond. We just respond with song and celebration. Pastor Brent, if you would come back to the stage, um, church, I would love for you to stand with me. And I want to pray this prayer over you. Paul goes through this really long sentence to get across to us through Jesus. God is restoring back to humanity all the blessings that he's longed to give to humanity. And so, in reflection of that, he says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Church, beloved community called faith, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head of everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything 
in every way. Church, let's just sing this simple little song together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly In the courtyard.